My name is uh, Adeladus Kilangi. I am teaching law at St. Augustine University of Tanzania in Tanzania. But I also serve in the African Union Commission on International Law as member and currently as president. Today I'm going to make a presentation about the development of the law of regional integration in Africa, its structure and pertinent issues. Um, as you can see from the title, the focus of the presentation is the law of regional integration. But I'm going to do that with a specific focus on Africa. And should I also mention uh, right at the beginning of my talk uh, that uh, I'm not intending to go into the detailed history or the detailed content of the law of regional integration in Africa. But I would rather focus on the structure and pertinent features. So in other words, I'm going to look at the uh, outcome of the developments that have taken place within that realm and what type of structure and key features do we have within this category uh, of law. And I could also provide a hint right at the beginning of my talk that uh, when we talk about the law of uh, regional integration, we are not talking about a systematized system of law. We're not talking about a systematic system of law. But we are rather talking about a law which is scattered in different uh, places and frameworks, um, in different uh, regional uh, economic communities, in different regional integration communities. Uh, but what we are trying to do is to discern now the key features, the essence of that law. In my presentation, I will touch on about three main uh, uh, things. I would wish to begin by addressing a few key concepts in this realm. And then I'll, I'll talk about regional integration in Africa uh, generally and the resultant development of the law of integration. And uh, the third part, I will now zero in to the main purpose of this presentation to outline the structure and the pertinent features of the law of uh, regional integration in Africa. So beginning with the first part of my presentation, which would address the key concepts in the realm of the law of regional integration, uh, in the first place we have the concept of integration. And it can be defined in uh, uh, many ways, but a simple understanding of integration is to combine uh, things which were originally separate and to make one. So to get uh, one thing out of originally uh, separate uh, things. Uh, but sometimes it's important to think about integration uh, in relation to cooperation. Are they one and the same? Uh, in some cycles they are treated as one and the same. Uh, in some other cycles they are treated as differently. Uh, but uh, generally cooperation is to come together and coordinate uh, whatever you intend to do. So you do what you intend to do 
uh, in a coordinated way, in a corporate, uh, in a corporated way, and that's not necessarily the integration where you combine, you know, things and uh, you form one thing that would uh, operate uh, for the benefit uh, of everyone. Now, from integration to the law of integration, what concept do we uh, have? Within the integration, you have uh, processes, you have mechanisms, uh, you have things that are taking place in there. And uh, these processes, these mechanisms, the various activities are usually guided by the law. And here now you speak about the legal aspects uh, of integration. But then how do we move from the legal aspect of integration to the law of integration? Uh, I would need to explain here a little bit. Somehow, the law of integration is a system. It's a legal system. It's a system of law. Uh, it's a system of law in the sense that uh, you have several sources uh, that forms the law uh, applicable in an integration initiative. And it's not just one law. Uh, it's different categories of law. When these different categories of law are put together, they form a system of law. And you can also have institutions, institutions that will uh, deal with implementing this particular law. Uh, we'll also have institutions that will interpret this law. And once you have a law, sources of law, once you have institutions that would interpret the law, once you have institutions that would implement the law, already you have a legal system. And that's why when we talk about the law of integration, we're not just talking about maybe a single piece of legislation, uh, we are talking uh, about uh, uh, a legal system. The law of uh, regional integration has its historical foundations. And the, histori the historical foundations is basically made up of the history uh, of the countries, states, and societies that intend to come together. Usually, there will be historical reasons, historical factors that are putting these countries together. And probably, in history, these countries, uh, you know, had a history of cooperating, integrating, doing things together. So probably in uh, historical terms, there were aspects of integration, even though they were not regulated uh, by any particular law. When we talk about the law of integration also, we should consider that there are philosophical foundations to it. What are the elements that make up the philosophical base or basis for the law of integration? Uh, the first and foremost is the concept of integration. Because before integrating, uh, the integrating states would think of something that they want to put in, uh, in place and you know, work together on it. This is the concept. So the question is like, what do we want to do? What form should this uh, joint uh, initiative take? Uh, what approach should it take? What status should it take, etc., etc.? Such questions are very pertinent and important because uh, states cannot, uh, you know, venture to integrate without any concept as to what they want to have in place uh, with regard to their uh, wish to come together. 
There is also another phenomenon that um, you know, comes out of any integration initiative. And uh, this is the question of supranationality. And the point here is that any integration initiative, or most of the integrational initiatives, would end up creating an institutional order that did not exist before. Before the integration, you only had the states as the existing institutional uh, orders. But then an integration scheme usually would create either an institution or an organization or a platform corporation. So we call this an institutional order. But then the question would be, how is this institution order going to relate with the states that created it? And this is the phenomenon called supranationality. And the meaning of supranationality would mean an institutional order created by member states, but then it, it acquires an existence of its own and it is separate in terms of personality from the personalities of the member states. This is one of the things which must be articulated very well in the uh, law of integration. Um, talking still about the law of integration, there is the question of sources. I have said the law of integration is a legal system in its uh, own right. But then within a legal system, you must have sources of law. And what now are the sources of law for integration initiatives? There are several sources of law. The first we can say um, constitutes law which is existing but it's made applicable to integration initiatives. And this is international law because, you know, it regulates a number of things within the integration initiative. Like uh, an integration initiative will have a treaty and we have the law of treaties, etc., etc. So this is one area of law which is made applicable to regional integration. But then we also have international organizations law uh, one might argue that international organizations law is part of international law, uh, but here for purposes of being specific, I think international organizations law is also developing as a specific branch of international law. And uh, its significance is in respect of uh, providing guidance on the organizational aspects of integration initiative. I've mentioned already that uh, uh, most of international initiatives will end up creating an institution. This institution will obviously become an organization, and there you have you know, organizational issues coming in. So like, how do you establish an organization? What will be the legal personality of this organization? You should also talk about privileges and rights of this organization, things like immunities, uh, you should also talk about duty, you should talk about responsibility of this organization. All these are things that are encompassed within uh, you know, the, the, the realm of international organizations law. Uh, you also have issues of succession, just in case member states uh, decided to bring to an end this institution that they will have uh, created. Another source um, for uh, regional integration uh, initiatives, apart from the applied law, is the law which is made or enacted. Law which is made or enacted 
uh, specifically by the member states who create this uh, organization. And um, first and foremost, it consists of the treaty that establishes that organization, but also the member states can adopt many other instruments uh, which will have, you know, uh, one or more effects on the organization they have established. So this is the second category. The third category consists of what is called the law which is developed by the organization itself, which is also sometimes called as custom. And uh, where does this custom come from? Uh, the custom generated by an organization come from the, comes from a number of sources. The first could be the policy decisions, uh, so decisions made by policy organs of the organization, legislative decisions, uh, decisions made by legislative organs of the organization, judicial decisions, decisions made by the judicial organs, and that's the general practice, which includes the practice of the secretariat. Uh, this is the third category. The fourth category is the law of member states. The law of member states. The law of member states is also one of the sources of law of integration. And this um, happens in a number of ways. In the first and the most obvious way is when member states uh, ratify the treaty that established the organization. Now, usually in the ratification instrument, they will talk about acceptance of the treaty, of course, and then, of course, accepting the organization. They will also say how they treat the organization, how to be the status of the organization in each country, and what would happen if disputes occur, etc., etc. So there are a number of things within the law of the member states which would have a bearing on uh, the integration uh, body that uh, they have uh, created. I was talking about the various concepts and theories and important things that uh, are important to consider as we talk about the law of uh, uh, regional integration. Now, let me move now to the second part, which is about uh, the re regional integration phenomenon in Africa and the development of the law of regional integration. And here I would quickly say that uh, there have been a number of initiatives uh, towards integration within the African continent, probably higher than any other continent in the world. As we know, um, at the continental level, uh, we have the African Union, uh, which was created out of its predecessor, the Organization of African Unity. Uh, this is an integration initiative at the continental level. But then we have uh, initiatives at the sub-regional uh, level. And we have, for example, uh, the East African Community for the Eastern African region, uh, the Southern African Development Community for the Southern African region, even though some countries from uh, the Eastern region are also members, Eastern and Central Africa are members to that. Uh, there is the economic community uh, of West, uh, West African states. We have the Arab Maghreb Union. We have the community for Sahel, Saharan states. Uh, we have the Intergovernmental Authority for Development. 
and we have the common market for Eastern and Southern Africa. So these are the most uh, prominent one, ones, the, the ones that uh, are recognized officially by the African Union. Now, we might need to raise a question. What are the factors that has, have facilitated uh, the development of the law of integration in Africa? As I've said, history. History plays an important, uh, uh, an important uh, part. For the content of Africa, we had events that uh, finally facilitated the integration. And of course, once you have uh, processes, wishes of integrating, the legal aspects of it come in uh, as a matter of necessity. So we had phenomena like uh, colonialism. Uh, almost the whole of the African continent was colonized. This event gave rise, rise to feelings of Pan-Africanism, fighting for independence, uh, and the concept of unity was born within uh, uh, those phenomena. And so the wish for the African communities which would make up African states, which then would make up regions within Africa, and which would then make up the continent of Africa were so paramount. And probably if it was not for uh, these historical uh, factors, probably the urge for integration wouldn't have been as, um, as strong as it is. But then uh, the other factor which you know, make up the foundation for the law of integration in Africa is the influences of the law and practices of integration initiatives within, within Africa. And specifically here, I would single out the example of the East African community because historically, this region is believed to have one of the oldest integration initiatives in the world, older than even the uh, European Union. So uh, efforts and initiatives towards integration are believed to have started as early as 1905, when uh, uh, the colonies of Kenya and the protected, protectorate of Uganda started to integrate and later on Tanganyika joined. Um, another factor is the fact about uh, the existence of integration initiatives uh, outside Africa. And here I would specifically single out the European Union. Uh, the European Union has exerted a lot of influence uh, to integration uh, in Africa and specifically the legal aspect of it because uh, it's one of those initiatives that uh, uh, developed a lot of law uh, in that regard. I can also mention that uh, there, there, there has been an influence uh, from international uh, organizations and I would specifically single out the United Nations. Since the establishment of the United Nations, uh, its practice you know, has inspired a lot of other integration initiatives, especially on the organizational aspects. It has developed a lot of law, which, you know, inspires other integrational initiatives. Having said that, I think I should now move on to part three, uh, which, as I said, is the bottom line 
of my presentation. The structure and pertinent features of the law of regional integration in Africa. As I said at the beginning, I'm not going to discuss the details of each integration law or each piece of integration or any law that has a bearing on integration in Africa because that's an enormous task and it won't uh, be accomplished within the, this uh, short period of time. But all what I want to do here or to show is to show the, the, the key elements that you can discern from this uh, broad framework of law that affects integration in Africa. And from that broad from framework of law that affects integration, there are about six uh, key pertinent uh, elements that you can find, and which, uh, in my view, I think uh, define as to what is the law of regional integration in Africa. In other, in other words, if somebody asks about uh, uh, you know, the content or the nature of the law of regional integration in Africa, one could simply point out to these six elements. The first element touches about the sources of law. Touches about the sources of law and that in every integration initiative, uh, including the African Union and the regional integration bodies, you'll find some stipulation of the sources of law. But again, I have to give a hint, this one is not systematized. So you're not going to find an article saying these are the sources of law. But you're only going to see the things that will help you to understand that, okay, this can be a source of law. That also can be used as a source of law. And if you look at the various frameworks, first and foremost, you'll find the law made by the initiatives, the integration initiatives, the treaty that establishes those uh, bodies. Uh, also, they will pass other uh, conclude the other treaties and the other instruments and the other laws. That becomes the first category of the sources. And secondly, you'll have the custom and practice developed uh, by an organization. Uh, look at every organization, you'll find that there are executive decisions, there are legislative decisions, uh, there are judicial decisions, and there is the general practice of that organization. That's another source of law that you could have. Then you have the law of the member states. So what are the member states talking about their, 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 the organization that they have created? What status do they give it? What rights and privileges do they give it? All that in totality will tell you uh, that this is the, uh, the law also which can be applied. Um, otherwise, you have the usual laws that would always be applicable in these organizations, and especially if they acquire the character of international organizations. So definitely international law applies and international organizations law applies. That's the first uh, um, uh, feature, key feature. Um, the second key feature, which you'll find in uh, most of these integration initiatives, is the act of establishment. An act of establishment is simply a statement which says we establish, even though the styles could be different. So, you know, others would say 
we want to establish an organization, some would say we want to create a union, some would say we want to come together and work together. The styles are different, but all these would subscribe to one concept, uh, that there is an act of establishment. And within that act of establishment, it's also possible to decipher you know, the legal personality. What type of organization is being established? And there are many types. If we go back, for example, to the various regional organizations that we have in Africa, you know, some member states uh, decided to call them unions. The OEU, for example, it was called uh, the, the organization, simply an organization of African unity, but uh, its uh, successor is called union. Okay, some others are called community, like the East Africa is a community, uh, the SADC is a community, the, the ECOWAS is a community, uh, the CENSAT is a community, but the IGAD is an authority. The COMESA is a common market, simply a common market. So, you know, different designations, but uh, these are legal stipulations of legal personalities. And then on top of that, you'll have stipulation of rights and privileges, stipulation of duties and responsibilities, and a determination of relationship with member states. In some instruments, they will explain what will be the status of this organization in the member states. In other instruments, you'll only have to uh, decipher again uh, from the instrument itself. The third pregnant element uh, in the law of integration uh, in Africa is the question of uh, stipulating the concept of integration. So you look through the various instruments, you should be able to see clearly the concept of integration. And usually the concept of integration is uh, defined uh, or stipulated through uh, the aims and objectives for which the organization is established. Um, look, through looking at the general principles that are uh, deemed to govern the integration initiatives and through stipulation of supranationality. So what will be the status of this organization vis-a-vis -vis, uh, member states? But I must also admit that in some of the instruments, some of these things are not very clear. So you need to really analyze the instrument to be able to know uh, the, their position. The issue number four, it is stipulation of frameworks of cooperation. Uh, frameworks of cooperation are just the broad areas, the broad sectors where the parties, you know, uh, the parties who create this integration initiative want to, to cooperate and finally to integrate. Um, as I said before, cooperation would mean coordination uh, of doing things. It's usually a step towards integration. So they would stipulate, but they could be clustered into three main areas. Uh, economic uh, area, and then political and governance area, and social area. And all other endeavors could fall within these uh, three uh, clusters. Um, number five, uh, there will be stipulation of processes and the mechanisms uh, of integration. 
processes and mechanisms are like vehicles which would enable would enable uh, fulfillment or implementation of the agenda for integration as it is set out in the concept of integration. Because you only have a concept for integrating and then you have frameworks of cooperation. You have ideas that we want to cooperate in economic matters, in social matters, in political matters, etc., etc. But then what are the instruments? What are the vehicles? What are the mechanisms? Okay? What are the means which you will put in place to realize uh, these aspirations? There must be mechanisms. There, mu there must be means to realize. Otherwise, um, you know, uh, the idea to, 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 to cooperate, to integrate, would remain as mere wishes. So these are called um, uh, as processes and mechanisms of, inter of integration. There are two approaches if you look at the situation in Africa. There are several approaches, but the main are two. The first type of approach is to use the traditional processes and uh, uh, mechanisms of integration. Uh, and I should say, these are the ones that were developed by the European Union uh, system. So to have free trade area, to have customs union, to have monetary union, political federation, etc., etc. A common market as well, I jumped to that. Um, this was the thinking generated uh, in the European Union integration, in the sense that if you want to integrate, you go step by step. You start with the free trade area, you move to a customs union, you go to monetary union, uh, sorry, common market first, then monetary union, and finally political federation. The East African community, for example, has adopted that uh, uh, approach, even though it is having, it's facing a number of challenges with, the, with regard to that. And many, you know, uh, uh, people are raising questions. Is it necessary to follow each step uh, you know, after the other, or could we pick uh, or quick, uh, quick start any of the processes uh, instead of, you know, following them serially, necessarily. Um, if you look at the African Union, it has probably taken a different approach, not this approach, not the traditional approach. It has made a combination of processes uh, and mechanisms which at the end of the day would facilitate, uh, would facilitate integration, so like the uh, Lagos plan of action, etc., etc. Um, in other words, there could be different approaches, but at the end of the day, uh, what you are able to see is that uh, an integration initiative is trying to put in place processes and mechanisms as means of realizing their integration agenda. And the sixth element, pertinent element, is the stipulation of the uh, institutional framework. And um, in stipulating the institutional framework, most of the integrational initiatives now appear to favor having uh, uh, replication of the three branches of government into an integration uh, initiative. And this is executive, the judiciary, and also uh, the secretariat, which stands like for the uh, administration, also as well as the legislature. Um, maybe I now speak briefly about uh, the key challenges that you, one can always find as uh, he or she deals with the law of integration. 
The first I've mentioned already, uh, the difficulties in systematizing the law. The law, the law is uh, uh, not found in one instrument. The law is not systematized. The law is scattered. So that is the, 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 the main challenge. And therefore, to construct a law of integration, one has to look into so many sources and so many places, and finally, that person is able to construct the law. And don't say, no, the law of integration of a certain initiative is just a treaty. No, the treaty is not all. Uh, there are many other things that come into play. The second challenge is to articulate the concept of integration and especially the issue of supranationality. Again, the concept of integration might be stipulated uh, in explicit, uh, concise manner, but sometimes it can be stipulated in a vague way, in a disorganized way. So it could be, it could be difficult. So it needs both analytical and a synthetical approach to be able to decipher that this is uh, the concept of integration, and this is the approach to supranationality as the member states might have uh, de desired. And the third thing now, uh, which is a big challenge within that framework, is the question of coherence. It's the question of coherence. And uh, here I'm talking about trying to bring coherence between the concept of integration so that it is in a consonance with the frameworks of cooperation uh, that are envisaged by the integrating member states, and then the processes and the mechanisms for integration under the institutional framework. The question is, do these variables operate in a consonance with each other? For example, do the frameworks for cooperation and the processes our mechanisms for integration, are they in consonance with the concept of integration? Or they are in dissonance? Or the institutions and organs that are put in place, do they answer to the concept which was put in place? Are they in consonance with the you know, processes and mechanisms? Do they serve? the processes and the mechanisms so that the ends of integration, the agenda is achieved. This is a big challenge. And uh, the challenge emanates from the fact that, as I've said, uh, these laws are sometimes developed on different platforms. They are, development, uh, they are de de developed on, uh, on different uh, time frames, different generations with different priorities. For example, in the African Union, you know, laws have been developed as from about 50 years ago. So issues, perspectives, perceptions, agenda, needs uh, of uh, 50 years ago might not exactly be the, the needs for this current generation. But we still have treaties made at that particular time. Now, when we introduce organs, when we put in place mechanisms and, 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 and processes, uh, do we, are we still subscribing to the concept, to the ideas of 50 years ago? These are some of the challenges. And when it comes to a point where you now have many instruments, like the African Union has more than 30 treaties 
you have so many decisions, you have so many other plans of action. Um, is there any cons consonance? Is there any coherence within all this system? That's the biggest challenge when you talk about uh, uh, the, the law of integration. But in any case, as I said at the beginning, uh, and um, actually by way of concluding, uh, I think Africa has had a very rich uh, uh, experience in terms of uh, integration. And I think uh, in the course of that history and experience, it has generated a lot of jurisprudence uh, to guide uh, integration initiatives that can not only be useful in the continent of Africa, but it can also be uh, an inspiration uh, to the rest of the world and can also be one aspect of Africa's contribution to the development of international law. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>